Open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. Have any of you heard about fake news? You heard about that? Um, there's another thing. And don't worry, I'm not going to talk about fake news today. We hear about that enough. Uh, there's something else. It's called fake knowledge. Fake knowledge. Have you ever known somebody that was just convinced of something that wasn't true? Right? They're just convinced of something that's not true. That's, that's fake knowledge. And we have a, a world that's full of that. There was a guy that went to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said to him, what can I do for you? And he said, well, I'm a dog. And he said, well, do you behave badly? or No, 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 I'm a dog. What do you mean you're a dog? I, I'm a dog. I, I just I believe that I'm a dog. Well, how long have you felt this way? He said, well, since I was a pup. Psychiatrist said, well, I think you need some help. Get on the couch. Well, I'm not allowed. <laughs> he was, I was at a preacher's meeting on Tuesday. This like 82-year-old preacher told that. I said, I've got to use that on Sunday morning. That was so funny. But he was convinced that he was, how many of you wish I hadn't gone to that meeting? You <laughs> wish that you could have done without that. He was convinced that he was a dog. And there are people that they're just persuaded. They're convinced of certain things that aren't true. Now, some of that comes from the Internet. Man, you can find stuff on the Internet that would persuade you of just about anything. And you know that just because something's on the Internet, that doesn't mean it's true. How many of you have been looking for something on the Internet? Here's the deal. The banners on the side, well, they'll say, look at what so-and-so said about this. And it'll say CBS News or whatever. And it's completely fake. It is completely a false ad. How many of you ever know what, you know what I'm talking about? You've seen those kinds of things. How many of you believe all of them? That's, that's the problem. That's what I'm preaching out today. It's so interesting, fake knowledge and things that people believe. Let me tell you about some of the things that people believe that, that just aren't true. How about this? These are things that people are persuaded of. Christians are intolerant hypocrites. Christians are intolerant hypocrites. Well, number one, we're all intolerant of something. Right? And what happens with people is they say that, well, if you disagree with me, then you are intolerant. Well, you disagree with me, does that make you intolerant? You see how these things, they they don't make any sense. And all of us are intolerant of certain things. And especially for our children, we don't tolerate everything that they want to do. Right? Remember, if your friend jumped off the bridge, that doesn't mean you have to, all that stuff, right? That that you heard all the time you're growing up. And, you know, there are people that, I, I want to let them follow his heart. You know, Pinocchio theology. Follow your heart. Well, the Bible says that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I don't want my child to follow his heart. I want my child's heart to be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit of God. I want that child to be changed. And so because of that, I am intolerant of my children's bad behavior, right? And so we're all intolerant of some things. And as far as being hypocrites, I guess it depends on your definition. If you believe that every Christian is intentionally behaving in a way that violates his faith. That's not true. If you mean by hypocrite that none of us can live up to what the Scriptures tell us we're supposed to do, well, that is true. And the fact that we're all hypocrites, that doesn't undermine the Christian faith. That actually demonstrates the Christian faith because the Bible says, if a man says he has no sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. You know, we we are not gathered here together as perfect people. Right? We're just saved people. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. Isn't that a blessing? Because I can't be perfect. That's why I needed to be forgiven. False knowledge. All Christians are intolerant hypocrites. How about this? Faith is all about, and, and this list, um, most of this list came from 
a guy named Frank Turek. I listened to something he did on faith knowledge, and this is some of these things were from his list. He said, faith is all about believing what you know isn't true because faith is blind. No, no. We, we believe we have faith in and faith that. We have faith in the Word of God because what we can see and demonstrate with, as we look at reality, that does comport with what we find in the Scriptures. So, yes, there is faith, but let me just make a very clear statement. Young people, this is really important. You don't have to have faith to believe that the Bible is historically accurate. It's proven to be historically accurate. There are no scientific discoveries that undermine the Scriptures. There are no archaeological discoveries that undermine the Scriptures. They don't exist. They don't exist. So you don't have to have faith to believe what the Bible says. You have to have faith to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. All right? So it's really important that we get that. Faith is not... This is the, the false statement, the false knowledge, the false knowledge. Faith is all about believing what you know isn't true. How about this? Have you ever heard this? The Bible's full of contradictions. The Bible's full of contradictions. Well, that's just not true. It's not true. There are no contradictions in Scripture. Um, then Christianity is the religion of no, 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 no fun at all. We were talking in Sunday school that when you drive down the road, there are lines on the road. Those lines on the road are not there to limit your fun. They're there to get you where you're going safely. Right? Are you glad there are lines? When I was in Lebanon, not Lebanon, Ohio, but the nation of Lebanon, man, you'd have a four-lane road, and they're driving eight across. Like the lines don't mean anything. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. One hand on the steering wheel, one hand on the horn, eight across. It was nuts. I'm glad that it isn't like that around here, right? It's safer. It's safer. And so those we have that whole concept of Christianity being a religion of no, 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 no. No, there are things that are bad for you. And anything that God tells you not to do, He tells you not to do it because it's bad for you. It's very simple. He loves us and He tells us no. You ever tell your kids no? Somebody, I can't remember who it was, talked about how their, their kid put a... Uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the VCR. Now, you guys won't know what a VCR is, but they put a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the VCR. <laughs> That's awesome. I think that that child needed to be told no, right? It, it's, it's, you have to tell your kids no. And it's interesting. You can tell when a child has been taught that. It's hilarious. Have you ever watched a little kid? They'll walk up. You, you go, you're babysitting or whatever. You're at the house. They'll walk up to something and they'll go, no. You ever seen that happen? Why? They were trained. They were trained, no. I do that with my wallet. Laura comes up to it, and she just goes, no. <laughs> Actually, it's the other way around. It's that whole Jetsons thing, you know, where she takes the money and all of that stuff. None of you don't know what the Jetsons are. All right, good. You guys know what it is. Good. Historical reference. Now, so Christianity is not the religion of no. Christianity is the religion of Jesus Christ loves us, and he died on the cross to save us. And then any of the instructions, none of those no's, take you to heaven. The only thing that takes you to heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ. Those no's are things to help us to live a happy life. Then um, Christianity was invented to control people. Now, I will say this. Christianity has been used to control people, and that's wrong. That's an illicit use of Christianity. We believe as Baptists, especially in individual soul liberty, that you are a free moral agent before God, and it's completely your decision whether you're going to respond to Him or not. I can't force that. So Christianity is not invented to has not been invented to control people while it's been used to control people illicitly then this is this is the this is one that we've all heard religion is all about preferences not fact just pick one they're all the same 
All religions are the same. You ever heard somebody say that? All religions are the same. Well, if you're talking about morality, most religions do teach a standard morality. And that's because the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that God's written His law on our hearts. And so every individual, whether they've ever been exposed to the Scriptures or not, has a certain morality that's been established in their hearts by God. And so all religions will reflect that baseline of morality. But listen to how they're saying, this is where they're not the same. Listen to what they disagree on, all the religions. The nature of man, the nature of God, sin, salvation, hell, heaven, and creation. That's what religions disagree on. The nature of man, the nature of God, sin, salvation, heaven, hell, and creation. Other than that, they're exactly the same. You see how that, that's something that someone believes that's just not true. It's, it's not so. Um, how about this? All the church wants is your money. You ever heard somebody say that? All the church wants, and this, in this case, it's true. We've got to build a building. I want all your money. Um, not all of it. You can keep some of it. Just give me most of it. Um, if you're a guest, we're trying to build a new auditorium. We're raising money for it, and we do it by guilt. Then there are, how about this statement? Have you heard this? There are gay people and there are straight people, just like there are black people and white people. Have you ever heard someone say something like that? Well, what's interesting about that logic is this. Homosexuality is based on behavior. It's based on what you do and what you want to do. Is that clear? Does that make sense? If you, if you ever said that race is based on behavior, so all white people behave this way and all black people behave this way, is that the most racist thing you've ever heard? You see, so the, the basis for that argument is not logical at all. As a matter of fact, it's based in a really horrible determinism that led to eugenics, which was the killing of undesirable races and all of those things. When you say that you cannot control your behavior, that is calling you an animal. And there are certain animals that have to be put down. You know, you can't save an egg-sucking dog, right? You've got to shoot that thing. And so those kinds of things, we understand that's the, the concept. But if you have this idea that people cannot control their behavior, that is just a horrible concept, and that is false knowledge. Amen? That is false knowledge. So people have weird ideas about that. There's this, you have this idea that you can, that now with transgenderism, people have this concept that they can change their sex, that you can decide whether you're a man or a woman. Well, that's just completely ridiculous. Uh, that is just, I can decide whether or not I'm going to be taller. There's nothing you can do about that. You can take all the human growth hormone you want to. You've got some things that are, and I've tried, no, I didn't. But you, you've got, <laughs> you can try all that kind of stuff you want to, but there are certain things that are just locked into your DNA. It's not going to change. Right? There are these things called chromosomes, and those chromosomes determine whether you're a guy or a girl. And if you're a guy, you've got these certain chromosomes. If you're a girl, you've got these certain chromosomes. If I decide that I'm a girl, they don't change. And so the idea in our culture where people believe that, it's just complete insanity. If I said I'm a toaster, that doesn't make me a toaster. It means that I need help. <laughs> right? And so the people believe things that simply are not true. They're not true. And i got to tell you, for, for us, remember, every idea first demands to be heard, then it demands to be equal, and then it demands to be exclusive. That's the way that progressivism works. And so this concept with transgenderism now, the, the demand is that I pretend that a guy is a girl or a girl is a guy, that it's my job. I have to pretend that that's true. I'm not going to do that because it's not true. Remember, our foundation is truth, not on what people think that is not 
true, and it doesn't help anyone to change those things. All right? Then, um, things that people believe that aren't true. Uh, miracles are not possible, and they've been disproven by science. Well, how do you prove a miracle by science? How, miracles are things that occur outside of science, right? So remember, that's the guy who is looking. He's got um, his metal detector, and he goes to the beach. Remember metal detector man from our study a year or so ago? Metal detector man. He go, how many of you know metal detector man? You've seen him. He's on the beach, and he's got his metal detector. And he comes back after spending hours and hours on the beach, and he said, I have proven decisively there is no plastic on the beach. Uh, how did you do that? With my metal detector. Well, your metal detector doesn't detect plastic. No, no, you don't understand. There's no plastic on the beach because I checked it. With There's plastic in your metal detector. Do you see? And so when people are trying to explain the world apart from any type of metaphysical or supernatural phenomena, if they're, use, if they're saying the only answers are naturalistic, well, how can they find the other? You can't. You can't. And so science has not disproven miracles. The greatest miracle is the creation of the world, and we'll look at that in a minute. Um, science and religion are incompatible. You can't be a religious person, or you can be a religious person or a scientist, but you can't be both. Noah's Ark, no way. Jonah, no way. If you are good, God has to reward you. Evil disproves God. A loving God would never send anyone to hell. If things aren't going the way that I want them to go, either God doesn't exist, doesn't care, or is evil. And macroevolution disproves God. These are all things that people believe. And I can't disabuse people of those notions in one message. But that is all fake knowledge. It's things that are based on false information that people really believe. Everything can be explained by science, by natural law. No need for religion. So like the creation of the world, Richard Dawkins wrote this. If you want to believe in unicorns or tooth fairies, Thor or Yahweh, the onus is on you to say why you believe in it. The onus is not on the rest of us to say why we do not believe. That's Dawkins. All right, well, some people believe that, but we're going to talk about that a little bit. There's a man named Vince Vitale. He wrote a new book with Ravi Zacharias. And the book is called um, Jesus Among Secular Gods. And listen to what he said. So after the quote from Dawkins, he said, I bought into that way of thinking that God is the crazy option, whereas a fully naturalistic and fully scientifically explainable universe is the sober, sensible, rational option. Now, naturalistic view is that only what you can see and taste and touch is real. There's no such thing as supernatural. And he said that... Um, let me read it again. I bought into that way of thinking. God is the crazy option, whereas a fully naturalistic and fully scientifically explainable universe is the sober, sensible, rational option. Without ever really reasoning, reasoning it through, I accepted the cultural myth that we used to need God to miraculously explain thunder and lightning, rainbows and shooting stars. But now that we have scientific explanations for these things, we should stop believing in God. And you know, there are a lot of people that believe that that God was just a way to explain things that we can't understand. And what some people would call today is the God of the gaps theory, that if you can't explain something, then God did it. And that's certainly not what we believe. He goes on. This is Vince Vitale. Let me begin by challenging my old assumption that Christianity is too extraordinary to believe. Right now, I am standing on a rock that is rotating at 1,000 miles an hour and flying around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. 
as part of a galaxy that is hurling itself at over a million miles an hour through a universe with laws so orderly that human life exists. That's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? He says this, There are not always, or things are not always as ordinary as they seem. Dawkins implies that God is too extraordinary to believe in. But a given hypothesis is only probable or improbable relative to what alternative hypotheses are out there. Let me read that again. A given hypothesis is only probable or improbable or improbable relative to what alternative hypotheses are out there. So what are the what are our alternatives when we consider a big picture explanation of the universe? How did all this get here? There are only three explanations for how the universe got here. There are only three. The first one, option one, is that God created the universe. Now, that's a pretty extraordinary claim. Would you all agree with that? It's an extraordinary claim that God created the universe. But look at the other alternatives. That's option number one. Option number two, the entire universe just popped into existence out of nothing without any explanation whatsoever. That's a pretty odd explanation. How many of you think that's a, that's a pretty crazy idea? Out of nothing, nothing comes, Right. So this is the, the second option, is that the entire universe just popped into existence out of nothing. The physical stuff in our everyday lives does not pop in and out of existence with no explanation. Can you imagine? You're sitting there and boom, there's Nathan. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> How many of you that would freak you out a little bit? Right? Things don't just pop into existence. We know that that doesn't happen. And so here's the idea. If we go back 15 billion years ago, that may have been normal. That doesn't make any sense at all, does it? It doesn't make any sense at all. That's option number two. Here's a definition for atheism. The belief that there was once absolutely nothing and nothing happened to the nothing until the nothing magically exploded for no reason, creating everything and everywhere. Then a bunch of the exploded everything magically rearranged itself for no reason whatsoever into self-replicating bits that then turned into dinosaurs. Now, when you use language like that, uh, I, I was, Lydia had a biology teacher, and we were doing the, the K-12 curriculum, that's the, home, the state school at home. And so I called this guy, and we are talking about evolution. And let me say this, he, was a, he really cared about Lydia, he was a good teacher, and a very kind man when I spoke to him. But I said, basically your position is time plus chance equals everything. And he said, no, that's too simple. And he went into this long explanation, which was time plus chance equals everything, which makes no sense at all. That, how many of you think that's an extraordinary claim? Time plus chance equals everything. And I love this definition of atheism. So the first option is that God did it. The second option is that everything just popped into existence. The third option is this. The universe, or perhaps some series of universes, has always existed, extending indefinitely back in time. But all that does is push the problem back one step. Where did that universe come from? Why did it begin? And this whole idea of eternity and of, of matter existing in eternity or time existing in eternity, if there were an infinite number of moments in the past, this moment would never come. Now, I know that's hard to get our heads around. Parmenides, the, the philosopher, he's the guy that came up with this idea that nothing comes out of nothing. And his premise was that really there can't be any kind of change. This is four or 500 B.C. when they're trying to wrestle with these ideas. The, the concept that there can be an eternal number of moments in the past would make this moment impossible. Isn't that interesting? So the idea that time 
existed in the past, in eternity. It's completely illogical. How about matter? How about matter? We understand that according to the second law of thermodynamics that everything is running down. Everything tends from order to disorder. And we know that our universe, while it's expanding, is also losing energy. And so if our, if our universe had existed at some point in the past, we would have run out of energy by now. We w- there would not be enough heat in the universe. It's called heat death. And they say that's where our universe is headed toward, heat death. I'm not sure why we have global warming and heat death, but those are two contradictory concepts. All right? So it's really important to understand that if this universe came from another universe that came from another universe that came from another universe, that is still an extraordinary claim. So our choices are three extraordinary claims, and I would say that God did it is the least extraordinary. Right? Because when we understand the first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That means that there was a beginning. And all of science, all of physics, all of logic, all of philosophy understands that there was a beginning to the world. That if there was a beginning to to time and matter, that means there must have been something that is timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, and moral. Right? And also creative to get everything going. What do we call that entity? God. You see, the, even science, philosophy, reason, it all points to an uncreated creator. I've got a sermon by Thomas Baldwin. He preached in either 1809 or 1811. And he said this, Of all absurdities, the most absurd would be a created creator. It's awesome, isn't it? A created creator. See, God is uncreated. He is uncreated. He has existed eternally outside of time. That's our God. That's the God that we worship. That is much less uh, extraordinary than the concept that it all happened out of nothing or that we have a continuous uh, collection of universes going back ad infinitum. Then, I like this statement. These three options exhaust the relevant alternatives and all three of them are extraordinary. All three of them are well outside the realm of the ordinary. And so the concept is, because we don't see God creating an individual out of nothing all the time, then it must not have ever happened. Well, you believe that, God, that, that everything just popped into existence without a creator. That's a much more extraordinary claim. So let's talk about worldviews. So you have all of these, the, this fake knowledge that people have. And people like Dawkins and others who believe that there's only a scientific explanation for everything which is clearly false because that's not a scientific statement. It's a philosophical statement. What we end up with is worldviews. And we've talked about this before. People will say, well, science tells us, and that's the logical fallacy of reification, science doesn't talk. Scientists do. They look at the data, they interpret the data, and then they give you the information. It's really important that we understand that every person comes to a subject with a worldview. None of us are completely unbiased. Is that right? And so our worldview, and I, I want to say this, the Christian worldview is definitely more open-minded than the naturalistic worldview. Because in the Christian worldview, we understand that God created the laws of nature. And so we can, we can look at the laws of nature, we can study the laws of nature, we can use the, study, the, the laws of nature. We believe in those things. The explanation is, what, what is the cause of a Model T Ford? What's the cause of a Model T Ford? The internal combustion engine? Does that explain it? Or Henry Ford? Well, both. Henry Ford was the inventor, but he used the laws of internal combustion 
in order for the engine to operate. You can't have one without the other. We're talking about creation and we're talking about agency. God created the agency. And this is really important. If you go back in time, you have somebody like, like uh, um, Stephen Hawking, Big Bang, you know, in the beginning there was nothing and then it exploded. What they believe is that if you go far enough back in time, there was a singularity. And that singularity was, was very small, it was super dense, and it exploded and everything came out of it. Well, what they say is when we got back to that singularity, that's when the laws of nature cease to operate. Well, then how could the laws of nature create the world that we're in? It doesn't make any sense, does it? It makes no sense at all. His worldview is that, all, that it all happened apart from God. And so that worldview must be tested. And so when we're talking about a worldview, that's how we see everything. So what I say at Grace Baptist Church, my job is to teach you how to take off the world's glasses and put on biblical glasses so that you see everything through the lens of Scripture. So if we're going to test a worldview, even ours, there are some things that we have to do. A worldview must pass three tests to be true, all right? It has to be logically consistent, empirically adequate, and experientially or existentially relevant. Now, I know that's really just touching your spirit, isn't it? But let's, let's talk about that a little bit. If we're going to examine a worldview, first of all, we have to test the truthfulness of it. And so you have a system right now that questions that you can know truth, all right? And we've discussed that, so I'll do this. If someone ever says to you, there's no such thing as truth, what should you say? Is that true? You see, the statement, there's no such thing as truth, assumes that that's a true statement. And so if it's true, it's false. The, any statement about truth that claims to be true must demonstrate that truth exists. And we all know logically that truth exists. And so in a worldview... We must understand that truth does exist, and truth is that which best describes reality. And so our wor worldview must be compared to reality. It has to be logically consistent, and its teachings cannot be self-contradictory. Christianity is completely consistent. Then, empirically adequate. What does that mean? Its teachings must match what we see clearly. I want to give you an example of how the life of Jesus Christ um, is empirically verifiable. So the empirical test of the person teaching and work of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say empirical, that means it can be tested. You can examine it, empirical evidence. So a, a, a worldview must be empirically adequate, that it can be defended through, through uh, testing. So consider the empirical test of the person of Jesus, and this is from Ravi Zacharias. He said, A look at human history shows why he was who he claimed to be and why millions follow him today. So if you look at history, why is Jesus Christ who he claimed to be and why do millions follow him? A comparison of Jesus' teachings with any other claimant to divine or prophetic status quickly shows the profound differences in their claims and demonstrations. So you can compare any of the world religions. Jesus Christ is completely unique and exclusive in all of the religions. In fact, none except Jesus ever claimed to be the divine Savior. Completely. Muhammad didn't do that. Jesus Christ is the divine Savior. His offer of grace and forgiveness by being the perfect sacrifice of our, for our offense is profoundly unique. And so listen to the way that he explains this. Ravi Zacharias said this, I position the sequence of fact and deduction in the following way. Love, number one, love is the supreme ethic. Number two, where there is the possibility of love, there must be the reality of free will. Right? You don't want to hug a robot. Right? I got a couple of dweebs in here that might. I don't 
So where there's the possibility of love, there's a reality of free will. Where there's the reality of free will, there is the inevitability of the possibility of sin. If you have free will, you're going to have sin. Where there is sin, there's the need for a Savior. Where there is a Savior, there's hope for redemption. And only in the Judeo-Christian worldview does this sequence find its total expression and answer. Now, how is that empirically evident? Well, we all know, we all know that love exists and that love is based on a choice. And we know that if there's free will, that there's the choice between good and evil, right? We all know that. And if there's the choice between good and evil, and evil exists. And if, there's the, and if evil exists, we know that there is sin. And everyone knows that sin must be paid for. Remember, there's never been, anthropologists tell us, there's never been a civilization discovered where there is not some kind of sacrificial system to appease the gods for their sin. Everyone knows that. Our experience can tell us that, empirically demonstrated. Then, the story from sin to redemption is only in the gospel and with the ultimate provision of a loving God. So the question is, doesn't this assume that there's a God? Yes, it does, and there are four stages in the argument. The first is that no matter how we section physical concrete reality, we end up with a quantity that cannot explain its own existence. If all material quantities cannot explain their own existence, the only possibility for a self-explanation would be something that is non-material. Secondly, wherever we see intelligibility, we find intelligence behind it. So John Lennox would say that message requires mind. Right? If you dump out your alphabets and they spell, go clean your room, that would be quite a feat, wouldn't it? If you walk into the kitchen and you see go clean your room spelled out on the table in alphabets, you know your mom's been messing with the cereal again. Because messages require minds. They don't just happen. And we know that when you look at the DNA sequence in every cell of our body, 3.4 billion uh, letter word, we know that there is a mind behind it, intelligence. Wherever we see intelligibility, we find intelligence behind it. Then thirdly, we intuitively know that our moral reasoning points to a moral framework within the universe. The very fact that the problem of evil is raised either by people or about people intimates that human beings have intrinsic worth. Fourthly, the human experience in history and personal encounter sustains the reality of the supernatural. Here's the thing. We can argue logically about all of this stuff, but how many of you know Jesus? You just, you just know Jesus. How do you explain that to somebody? We're going to talk about that tonight. I hope you come back tonight. I've got a special message on that. But that makes all the difference in the world, that Jesus Christ and Christianity and the change of a life, the change of a heart, that that can only come from a supernatural God. So what we've said is that a worldview has to pass three tests. It has to be logically consistent, empirically verifiable, and existentially relevant. Its teachings must speak directly to how we actually live our lives. And then what a worldview has to do in order to be worth anything is it has to address the four great questions of life. And those questions are origin, where do the universe and human beings come from? Meaning, what is the purpose of life? Morality, how do we know what is right and what is wrong? And then destiny, what happens to us after we die? All of those things are vital. And these are the great questions. How did I get here? Why am I here? Where am I going? And how do I determine what's right and wrong? Those are the great, those are the ultimate questions and only the Christian worldview, only Christianity and the Word of God give us the answers to life's great questions. And then when we have those things, our worldview is 
uh, logically consistent, empirically verifiable, and existentially relevant. It, it actually impacts our lives. And we find that it does answer the, the great questions of life, meaning, origin, uh, purpose, and destiny. Then, then we can really understand how the world works through the disciplines where we study people. So a worldview is examined through five academic disciplines. Theology, the study of God. And one of the greatest studies you can ever do is dive into theology. Who is God? How does He work? How has He revealed Himself? And you'll find out that it's the greatest of all the studies. And then metaphysics. It's the study of what is ultimately real. Would you tell me how much does love weigh? It's interesting, isn't it? That's metaphysical. It's not just a, a hormonal reaction. It's something that's real, that's metaphysical. So theology, the study of God, metaphysics, the study of what is ultimately real. Remember what Jesus, what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, that everything that goes on here, whether it's the church or the temple, is simply a picture of what's going on in heaven, right? Metaphysical reality, theology, metaphysics, then epistemology, the study of how can we really know things? Why do we know this? Why should I believe this? Only Christianity gives us the framework for genuinely knowing those things. Then ethics is the study of what is morally right or wrong. Remember, people talk about multiculturalism, that all cultures are equally valid and equally true. That's ridiculous. In one culture, they say, love your neighbor. In another culture, they say, eat your neighbor. They're not the same. They're not morally the same. And then anthropology, the study of what and who humans are. You see, if you get theology, metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics right, then when you get into science and what's going on with the human body, now we have, now we have a moral foundation for science. Because we can get to the place where people are not valuable. The Third Reich, Joseph Mengele, he'd take two Jewish uh, uh, twins, identical twins, and he would torture them to see how different tortures impacted identical twins. Why? Because he didn't have a moral basis for his science. We must do it. And I got to tell you, the television shows that are out today that are pushing the boundaries of science and all this con the concepts of transhumanism, all of that transhumanism is mixing machines and men together. We have to understand that we can't, we can't, we can't do that in a moral way without understanding who God is and who man is, what God's intention for them is. It's vital. So, if all this is true, so what? What does it matter? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Fake knowledge. And I know I've gone through this quickly. You can download it off the Internet or, or get the CD and examine some of these things more slowly. But look what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1. What does all this mean to us? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, and become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity. What are those next three words? I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So this is really important. What is this all about? Jesus Christ did not come into the world to establish an epistemology. He came into the world to save sinners. 
And when I get saved, what happens is God changes my heart. He gives me new desires. He gives me a new perspective on the world. Remember, this whole concept that Christians are intolerant. Well, look, this is really important for us to get. God didn't command us to be tolerant. He commanded us to be loving. See, that's so much different than a condescending, sneering tolerance. What it is is it's love your enemies. If you have a different position than me, I'm commanded to love you. It doesn't mean that I agree with your error. But what it means is I will never harm you. I love you. I love you. And I wonder, we as Christians, and here at Grace Baptist Church, we have a genuine love for the truth. Would you all agree with that? In the overflow, if you're awake, do we have a love for the truth? Amen. It's The news, we're all in the back row back there, and I thought of the song that we sang last week. It said, spread the news far and wide. And so that's what we're doing this morning. We're spreading the news far and wide. But where was I? Oh, yeah. So we really do care about truth here at Grace Baptist Church. Well, look, if I have all of that truth, but I don't have love that gives, where I'm willing to give not just my money, but myself, where I'm willing to invest in the people that disagree with me and possibly even hate me, it doesn't matter if I have all these other gifts. If I don't have charity, then I am nothing in the Lord's work. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Last week I preached on grace and how important grace is in the life of the person, life of the believer. And it it really is, it's a radical concept. This morning I'm dealing with these subjects of apologetics mainly because all you young people, I'm going to, this will happen often. You know, this is just, I want you to keep thinking about these ideas as you grow and you go to school and you move on to college like some of these other guys. You'll keep hearing these ideas. I want you to know we have answers for these things. We've got to keep, we're going to keep doing it. But this is vital. Look at what it says, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure what? Heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. So not fake faith, but real, out of faith unfeigned. From which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, empty noise. So we can have all this knowledge, but if God hasn't changed our heart to where we care about people, we love the Lord and we love people, then all the knowledge in the world won't help you. I'll tell you what's interesting for myself, just personal testimony. You know, I've been around this stuff all my life. I, I love this apologetic stuff. It's what I did for years on college campuses. I really enjoy deep thinking and argumentation and all of those things. And in the ministry, I don't know if I told you this. I think I mentioned it when I was preaching in Florida a couple of weeks ago. Um, I had a friend, his name was Ray Theaker, that I worked with. He went to the same church that we went to when I was selling windows. And um, they had twins that were born. And either one or both of the twins died after maybe a week. Was it both, Laura? Do you remember? And listen to what I said. I said this to him. Not these exact words, but this has been, you know, 25 years ago. But this is what I said to him. Um, Well, at least you hadn't had them around long enough to get too attached. I said that. Now, at that point, I was 
I wish I could say I was 16. I was maybe 28, 29, 30. I had been studying apologetics and argumentation since the time I was probably 13. So by that point, I had quite a bit of knowledge. If you study anything for that long, you're going to have some knowledge, right? But I didn't have charity. Let me give you the technical definition. I was an idiot. I can't imagine saying something like that to someone. And so when Riley was born and we dealt with all of his issues, and then when Riley died, do you know one of the first things I thought of? What I said to, to Ray. And it's very interesting what God does in your life when you're trying to grow in the Lord. Sometimes God can just teach you through something like this. You young people, don't ever say to somebody that they didn't have their baby long enough to become attached. Here's the thing, 99% of them wouldn't do that. Why? Because they have walking around sense. And so you can learn it that way. I had to learn it by losing a child. But what God does in our lives, I came here and one of the first things that happened was Greg Mix died. He was a 13-year-old boy. And uh, I can't imagine how I would have handled that if we hadn't lost Riley. You know? So what am I talking about here? So back in my 20s, hard, you know, logical, kind of a jerk. I come here as a pastor and God's broken my heart in some ways and, I, and I'm growing, you know, in the Lord. And I'll say this, the condition of Grace Baptist Church when I came needed somebody to be tough and hard because there were some doctrinal issues that need to be cared for, some issues, and we had to get it turned around. And so after a period of time, I remember I went to Dave McCracken. I'd been, I'd been here maybe eight years, and I said, Brother Dave, I've got a problem. The man I had to be to change the direction of Grace Baptist Church, I don't know if I can be the pastor that they need now. And Dave McCracken, he's going to come and preach for us again. Some of you haven't met him. We're playing golf. He said, here's just great advice. Yes, you can. Went and played golf. That was it. That was the whole thing. And so now that's, that's 12 years ago. And you know what I find now in my life? And I think some of it was, you know, my mom died about three years ago. Dad died this past year. And that changes you. How many of you have lost a parent? You know what I'm saying? T- it changes you in a way that you can't ever describe. And then we dropped Lydia off at school in California, and I cried the whole way back from California. And it's weird when robots cry, you know. And we're going to drop Jacob off, and that's going to be awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what am I talking about? That through life and experience and, and as a pastor dealing with people's um, trials, I think what God has done for me is He's moved me from a robot with some knowledge to an older, a man that's older, um, that now knows how to cry. I find myself crying all the time. We were watching a TV show the other day. I mean, it's like Fixer Upper or something. (laughs) And Laura looks over at me and she says, Don't cry. Just eat, eat. Tore that wall down. It was ter- no, I don't remember what it was about. <laughs> and either I'm completely losing my mind 
or God is changing my heart, and I sure hope that He's changing my heart. So, this foundation of truth that we've discussed, it's vital that we understand that we have, that we have a truth basis for our faith and that we must be interested in truth and error. We can never give that up. But if there's not a heart of love for God and for His people, then all of that, according to the Bible, is worthless. It's worthless. And so I want you to think about something. We look at the world with its fake knowledge. I wonder what our fake knowledge is. Well, I know this. They don't know that. I'm something. Doesn't God hate that? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so the heart behind all of this, what's the big deal? There's fake knowledge out there. People believe things that are wrong. It's our job to go out there and to be able to give them answers. We have to have those answers. But if we don't give the answers in love, then we're sounding brass or tinkling cymbals. It's just noise. And i got to tell you, our community, our community is not known for sensitivity. Right? I've waved at people for 10 years who've never waved back. Isn't that true? Thank you, Alan just waved at me so I feel better. <laughs> our community's not known for that. You know, it's a wonderful thing. The Stricklands were here, our missionaries, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they commented on how friendly Grace Baptist Church is. Man, I've got to tell you, that was a long time coming. It, w- it was a lot of work. We had people that would come in and say, nobody talked to me, it wasn't friendly or whatever. Now, I don't know if that was ever really true, but we have gone, we have really worked hard at that, and you all are doing a great job with that. But at some point, it's got to get beyond, this is what we do to welcome guests, to, I really care about this person. I really love this person, and I'm going to invest my life in that person. I mentioned the Sunday school hour, um, Justin Yo needs help in uh, Awana. We need nursery workers. We need leaders. We need people to listen to verses. And what happens is all of us, we love the Lord and we love kids, but we get so wrapped up in our own lives we don't have time to do it. Folks, if we really have the heart of charity and of love, we're going to give our time to invest in those kids because this is when they learn. I want you to think about something. 85% of the people that come to Jesus Christ come to Jesus Christ before the age of 15. We've, we've got to influence them while they can, and that means we need workers. See, a lot of people in this room have a lot of knowledge, a lot of people in overflow that are working downstairs right now. We have a lot of Bible knowledge, and that's vital. We have to grow. But we've got to grow in love, too, and in sacrifice, because that's when we become like Christ. That's who we're supposed to be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.